Thank you, Dr. Ross. Those words in 2 Kings are about a young man, a king, who after God's word had been lost for many, many, many years, for the first time heard God's words read. And you could see by his reaction the love that he had for God's word. Now, we're not going to stay in 2 Kings this morning. If you keep your finger there, we're going to come back to it. But I wanted you to hear it read at the beginning so that you could hear an account of somebody that had a love for God's word. I wanted Dr. Russ to read the verses because I didn't want to have to pronounce all those names. (laughs) Thank you. But I want to ask you, what is your attitude towards God's word, especially at the start of a year like this? So we're at the beginning of 2019, and, and as you were to think about what it is that you have planned and goals that you have for the year ahead, uh, what is your attitude towards God's word in terms of being in it, reading it, engaging with God's word, applying God's word to your life? How did that go in 2018 as you look back? What was your engagement with God's word like? Are you satisfied with it? Is it something that you could see increasing in your life? What I want to do this morning is spend time talking about God's Word, and we're going to talk through some of the characteristics of God's Word. We're going to think about some of the the valuable things that God's Word brings for us, and some of the, uh, because of those things that are true about God's Word, some of the pitfalls that that helps us to avoid when we cling cling closely to the truths of God's Word. And, And I hope that it has a shaping effect on our lives as individuals in the coming year, Uh, certainly in the corporate life of our church, uh, we should be people who highly value the Word of God, just like Josiah did when he heard these words read. And so I want us to think about some of these truths together. Uh, what's, what's actually taking place? I'll just let you know a little bit behind the scenes of what's going on. So last week you heard Dan DiDonato give a little bit of an update on uh, the ordination process that the elders have laid out for myself, and there'll be a monthly study group as I try to study some of the doctrines of Scripture. And so in a couple of weeks, uh, the doctrine that we're going to be looking at together with these men that are helping me study is the Word of God. And so I actually got started on my reading and uh, thought, you know what? This would be helpful for us as a church to hear together. I don't plan on doing that each of the uh, eight months that we go through this. So I don't typically, this morning, I'll be honest with you, first sermon of the year, uh, it could be a little... I might be a little closer tied to my notes. It might be a little more lecture-oriented. I don't know how well that's going to work. You know, we might say this is one and done kind of thing. Uh, And if if I look out and half of you are falling asleep, we definitely won't be keep doing this through the rest of the ordination process. But on the other hand, uh, especially at the start of the year on the Word of God, uh, us seeing why God's Word is important, why it's valuable in our lives, why we as people need to be reading it. I hope that there's truth. And uh, what I hope to encourage you is, is in your love for God's Word that you want to stay close to this. And then what we're going to do in a week or two here, we're actually going to start a series in the book of John. And we're going to start in the middle of the book or, or, or uh, in the timeline of Christ's life. We're 
we're starting very close to the end. We're going to start in John chapter 11, and we're going to work our way up till Easter morning we finish with the resurrection. We won't finish the book at that point, but I've tried to time it out so that on Easter morning we can look at the resurrection from the book of John. So in order to do that, we backed up, and we're going to start at verse at chapter 11, uh, but it'll take us a week or two before we get there. And so what I want you to be thinking about in, in, in leading up to that is God's word and the word that became flesh. And as we study God's word and we see who Christ is, it transforms our lives and it transforms us as people, sets priorities for us as a church. And I pray that you will be changed in your study of God's word in 2019. It would be hard to overestimate the importance of your engagement with God's Word in 2019. As you think about what you want God to do in your life, your engagement with God's Word ranks right up there at the very top of things that we as Christians and followers of Christ should be doing because we want to read it and then we want to apply it to our lives and we want to see our lives change. So to study the Word of God, uh, what I want to think about, uh, historically there have been four doctrines that Protestants have held to in relation to the Word of God and, and I want to walk through those. So if in your section of notes, if you want to take notes this morning, if you were to think of an acronym and down the left-hand side, if you were to write out the the word scan, S-C-A-N. We're going to look at four doctrines that help us think about the Word of God. This isn't everything that needs to be said about the Word of God, but it's four, valu- four very valuable things that will help us as a people think about how important God's Word is. So that word S stands for sufficiency, and, and, and another way to say that is that, that God's Word uh, is enough. God's word is sufficient for everything that we need for life and godliness. We don't need extra revelation from God's word. The C stands for clarity, that God's word is understandable, that we can, as people, read God's word and understand the instructions he has for us. So God's word is enough, it's sufficient. God's word is understandable, it has clarity. Uh, God's word has authority. That's, that's which is to say God's word is final. The A stands for authority. God's word is the highest earthly authority that we have when God speaks in his Bible. That's it. That's the final authority. And the N stands for necessity. God's word is necessary. That, that without God's word, we won't have sufficient revelation to understand who God is, who we are, and we won't understand salvation. So think of that, that little word scan helps you think about God's word, that it's sufficient, it has clarity, it has authority, it's necessary. And now I'm going to get complicated with you, even though you've written out your notes, and the word scan helps us understand all those things. I'm going to do it in a different order, because I think some of them flow out of each other. So just wherever you're at on your page, take those notes, and we'll go through it together. We're actually going to start with the A, that God's word has authority. God's word is final. When God speaks through his word, his instructions are the final authority. That, that on this earth, there is no higher earthly power, no no higher earthly authority, no higher measuring stick by which we judge the standards of our lives, by which we can know who God is. God's word is the authority. God's word is final. So if you think through the Old Testament, how many times over and over and over do you hear this quotation? And the word of the Lord says, 
And the word of the Lord came. And the Holy Spirit through the prophet said, and the word of God, 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 over and over and over. What is scripture doing? Over and over and over, it's saying, if God says it, that's the final authority. And scripture itself attests to the final authority. Scripture itself speaks of scripture's divine authority. By one count, you could come to the New Testament, and you could see how the New Testament authors come back to the Old Testament. By one count, Jesus and the New Testament authors go back to the Old Testament 295 times at least and quote back and see that the Old Testament is divinely authoritative. Even Jesus used scripture as a way to say, this is the final authority. What is God doing with that over and over and over when he says, God says, and the word of the Lord says, and the Holy Spirit through the prophet said, What is God doing with that? Well, you and I do the exact same thing all the time. When you and I want to convince someone of something, have you ever noticed that we'll like name drop? Well, so-and-so said, right? Especially if we think it'll add a little merit to our argument. Well, I picked this up from so-and-so. And and, and you get that stamp of authority, right? And the better name you can put in there, the more authoritative you have of what you have to speak. Scripture is saying, and God said. That's final. He has all of the authority. In Psalm 138, Psalm 138, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist says this, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. Verse 2, I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted... Above all things, your name and your word. That there is nothing higher than God's word. God has established his word as authoritative and final. So with each of these, when we get to the end of it, God's word is authoritative. What I mean by that is God's word is final. Well, we're sort of, what are some of the implications out of that? How should you and I think about this book if it truly is authority? I mean, yes, all of us will pay lip service to the authority of scripture. All of us understand that God's authority is final. But how should this affect our lives? Well, there's several implications. Number one, there's no higher authority that we can look to on this earth than God's words in this book. There's not a pope or a pastor or church tradition that somehow trumped the authority of God's word. God's word is final. If he said it, it has authoritative uh, quality to it, and it's final. And so we understand that. Secondly, this is where the doctrine of inerrancy would come in, that God's word is without error. That that God's word in the original manuscripts is without error. What does that mean for you and I? Simply, it means that when the Bible speaks, it speaks truth. In everything that it speaks to, God's word is truthful. And we can trust it because it is the authority. It comes from God. God's word is final. There's a way to think about this. I want to read a lengthy quote from a man named J.I. Packer. And this helps us understand even some of the things that don't make sense in this doctrine, and to understand God's authority and that his word is final. And he says this, J.I. Packer says, God then does not profess to answer in scripture all the questions that we, in our boundless curiosity, would like to ask about scripture. He tells us merely as much as he sees we need to know as a basis for our life of faith. And he leaves unsolved some of the problems raised by what he tells us in order to teach us a humble trust in his veracity or his truth. The question, therefore, that we must ask ourselves when faced with these puzzles is not, is it reasonable to imagine that this is so, but 
Is it reasonable to accept God's assurance that this is so? Is it reasonable to take God's word and believe that he has spoken the truth, even though I cannot fully comprehend what he has said? The question carries its own answer. We should not abandon faith in anything that God has taught us merely because we cannot solve all the problems which it raises. Our own intellectual competence is not the test and measure of divine truth. It is not for us to stop believing because we lack understanding or to postpone believing till we can get understanding, but to believe in order that we may understand. God's word is final. It is the authority. And so you've got to start there. And this is why you would want to be in God's word this year, because it has the authoritative final answers. You won't find them elsewhere. Secondly, God's word is clear, which is to say that God's word is understandable. What do we mean when we say that God's word has clarity? Well, there's a longer, funner doctrinal word that's called perspicuity, which for a word that means clarity is not all that clear as to what it means. And in this doctrine, it helps us understand that God's word is understandable. It means that we can read and know and understand the truth that God wanted to communicate to us. We, you and I, can open God's word and read it and understand it. Wayne Gruden defines this doctrine this way. The Bible is written in such a way that all things necessary for our salvation and for our Christian life and growth are very clearly set forth in Scripture. God's word is understandable. We can understand the truths that God wants us to know. Now, there's a problem. Not all of God's word is easily understandable. That's not the doctrine that this is trying to set forth. Not all of God's word is equally understandable. But the truths of God's word for salvation and for life and godliness are clearly set forth. We can know it, but we understand that parts of it are difficult. Look at what Peter says in the book of 2 Peter. Peter says this in 2 Peter, and he's writing about Paul's letters, and he says this, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of them in these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Scripture itself acknowledges, Peter is saying, look, sometimes some of what Paul has written and in his letters, some of it's difficult to grasp. And so because of that, some people are going to take it and twist it in ignorant ways. And so the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture does not mean that everything is easily understood. What it means is that we as Christians can open God's word and understand the necessary truths for salvation. God wanted to communicate to us. He didn't want to leave us in a fog. Scripture itself over and over testifies that we should be able to understand. Look at what uh, is spoken in the book of Deuteronomy. So as, as Moses is giving the Israelites instructions, of what was supposed to happen when they entered the promised land here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. The, the, the truth of the matter was that they should easily, they should 
take God's written word and instruction and they should be able to teach it diligently even to children. It was supposed to be understood. It wasn't supposed to be left foggy and confusing. It wasn't a truth just for the Old Testament priests and the, the, the lay people were not supposed to have any knowledge of it. No, they were supposed to talk about them, write about them, teach them diligently to their children. And so we've got to understand that God's meant for his word to be word God meant for his word to be understood even better than the words coming out of my fumbled mouth. So this doesn't negate the fact that we need the illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit. There are some truths in Scripture that are divinely discerned, that are spiritually discerned, uh, is what I, how I should have said that. And, and so we recognize that truth. But what we're trying to do and why you need to hang on to the clarity of Scripture is because there's a couple of pitfalls that this helps us to avoid. And you see some of it, you see one of them very clearly looking 500 years back in church history. And then you see the other one happening today. Very, very clearly right away today. So if you were to look backwards in church history, this is one of the big divides between Protestants and the Roman Catholic Church when you look at the, the things that took place in the Reformation, that Martin Luther and some of the other reformers uh, uh, realized the importance of Scripture and that Scripture could be understood by the common person. And, and therefore, truth and the, the interpretation and application of Scripture didn't, wasn't reserved for a special class of people. This wasn't just for the popes. This wasn't just for the bishops. This wasn't just those for learning. Everybody should be able to open God's Word and hear from God. If God has revealed Himself to us in Scripture, then the clarity of Scripture was a doctrine which said everyone ought to have access to God's Word. So you take a man like William Tyndale who in England literally gave his life so that the scriptures would be translated into the common English vernacular. And, and the story is well known and told of as he was, uh, tw at this point he was 28 years old and in an argument with a man uh, and uh, this was supposedly a learned man and he realized this man had no knowledge of the scriptures, was supposed to be a spiritual leader of the people and he himself was not familiar with the Latin scriptures. And so William Tyndale said this to the man, I defy the Pope and all of his laws, and if God spare my life ere many years, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow shall know more of the scripture than thou dost. He's saying the little kid out working in the farmer's field, if God allows me to translate the scriptures into the common language, will know more of scripture than, than you. And by God's grace, that's what happened. And at 42 years old, William Tyndale was burned at the stake for his efforts and passion and his committedness to the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture, realizing that everyone ought to have access to God's Word. And in his dying breath, it's reported that he said, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. Why? Because he realized how valuable and precious God's Word was. And so God's Word is understandable. And if there's that pitfall on that spectrum of history, there's another pitfall that's taking place today in our postmodern way of thinking. Uh, by that, I'm, I'm speaking of some of the aspects whereby uh, it's not popular to say that we have absolute truth or that we can even know whether or not absolute truth exists or that we can state absolutely what that truth is. And that is taking place for... There, there are many, many people that want to use the name 
name evangelical, that want to use the name Christian, that still want to use Scripture, but they are very quick to assert that we can't know for sure what Scripture is exactly supposed to say, or perhaps the meaning of it changes, because who are we to say that God has clearly communicated truth? And so they will say things that at first sound plausible, perhaps even sound with a, a bit of humility. They would say something like this. Kevin DeYoung has written on this, and he, he puts forth the argument in their words and would say it like this. It sounds humble to say, we can't put God in a box. We can't define him with human language. If we could define him with our words, then he wouldn't be God anymore. Scripture simply gives us one inspired record of human beings trying to describe mysteries that are beyond mere words and language. And if, if you pay attention, you, you will see things like this come up in popular Christian literature that we better be really careful. It almost sounds noble. Who, who are we to say that we know the mind of God on a particular issue? And just because other people have interpreted that way, what if God intends to change his mind on a certain issue? And can we really have clarity? And so you see some of that happening in social issues of the day and the church's stance toward them. And, and what we need to realize, brothers and sisters, God did clearly communicate to us and he did it through a book and he did it through words and he chose to do it through the human language. And scripture is clearly knowable. Now that doesn't mean that we don't need to work hard to make sure our interpretation is correct. We do, but we can understand God's word because he chose to reveal himself to us this way through human language. And so we as a people want to be very careful to realize that. We want to be very careful to realize that the meaning of scripture is determined by its author. If God wrote this book and he did it through a human author, then what he intended to say, he's the one that gets to decide. So there'd be many... Uh, uh, contemporary literature discussion groups, right? Where you grab the greatest popular novel and you sit around and you read it. Well, what does that mean to you? And then you, you know, you have the opportunity to pontificate. Oh, wow, I had no idea he meant that. That just sounds very plausible. That's probably a great way to interpret some of these books. I don't read a lot of Shakespeare myself. God bless you. If you do, you have a, a, a broader reading mind than I do. That's not a good way to interpret the Bible. Uh, what does this mean to me denies the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture, right? That, that, uh, uh, that, that somehow we get the freedom uh, to determine the meaning ourselves. Now, yes, we have to apply it in very various ways to our own lives, but in terms of the meaning, what God intended to say, he made that very clear. And, and we better not be so bold and brash as to think that somehow we can twist that. Now, as, as theologians have written about this, and, even, and this goes even a little broader, but to, bar, to borrow an illustration or argument for, from philosophy, uh, there would be those that, there, there's a well-known tale, a well-known fable, if you will, about six blind men and the elephant. And so the story goes like this, that there's an elephant and there are six blind men who are trying to interpret the elephant and figure out what it is. And so they're blindfolded and they are touching. And the one says, uh, has his arms wrapped around something very large. And he says, look, this is a tree as his arms are wrapped around the elephant's leg. I can feel the tree right here. And one grabs what he thinks is a rope. And he says, as he has a hold of the tail, he says, yes, this feels like a rope. It's hairy. It's long. It's skinny. This is a rope. I have a rope. 
And the other is grabbing something large and floppy. And he says, this is a big fan. I can tell it's meant to, to move air, and this is a fan. And, and the illustration goes, well, well, this is how silly all of us look trying to interpret God, right? That, that we're blindfolded, we can't see, we're all pro- proudly pontificating on these things that we think are true, when in what in reality is there's this elephant here, and everybody just can't even see the big picture, So many theologians have looked at this and they've poked holes in that argument and uh, so these aren't original with me and there would be others, but there's a couple of big problems with that six blind men and the elephant. Number one, the whole story is told from the vantage of absolute truth. There is someone that knows that the whole thing is an elephant. Uh, And so that doesn't make sense without that absolute truth. But the far bigger problem would be this. Uh, in the difficulty that the blind men have interpreting the elephant, what would be to happen if the elephant were to speak and the elephant were to reveal to the six blind men, hey, I'm an elephant. You there, calling that a tree, that's my leg, I'm an elephant. You holding the thing you think is a rope, that's my tail, I'm an elephant. At that point, how humble do these blind men look ignoring the revelation that has been spoken to them? Who's the ignorant one at that point, right? And so you've got to stop and think about this, that the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture helps us to understand we really can know and speak with confidence about the things that God revealed to us and wanted us to know. Why? Because God's word is understandable. Thirdly, God's word is necessary. The necessity of Scripture teaches us that God's word is necessary. Kevin DeYoung wrote this, defining the doctrine of the necessity of Scripture. He said, The doctrine of Scripture's necessity reminds us that we need God's word to tell us how to live and how to be saved. General revelation is not adequate. Personal experience and human reason cannot show us the gospel. We need God's gracious self-disclosure if we are to worship rightly, believe in Christ, and live forever in heaven. God's word, God revealing himself through his written word, is necessary for you and I to be saved. There are aspects of general revelation whereby God has revealed certain aspects of his character to all of humanity. But in order to understand and know who God is, we need scripture. You and I won't know how to live our lives without God. We won't know who God is. We won't know who we are without God's revealed word. And therefore, the doctrine of the necessity of scripture teaches us how much we need God's word to understand these things. The book of Romans chapter 10 says this. Romans chapter 10 starting in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now how does that salvation happen? How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what has been, what has, what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That Paul is showing us and explaining to us that salvation comes through that recorded message of who Jesus was and through the written word of God. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The word of God is necessary 
for you and I to be saved, for us to understand how life works. John Calvin used this illustration to help people understand how God's word was. Um, some of you will understand this more than others. I have, to this point in my life, had pretty good vision. Uh, I, um, the older I get, I'm starting to realize that small print up close, my day is coming. I realize that. But some of you take your glasses off. Spectacles, they were called in John Calvin's day. And, and the world is foggy. You cannot make out anything. You can see shapes. You can see perhaps a few colors, but some of you, you know, until you put the spectacles on, you can't see anything. He said, this is the way it is with God's word, that we cannot clearly make sense of what we're seeing without God's word helping us see it clearly. You won't know who God is. You won't know who you are without God's word in your life. Therefore, this has a couple of important implications, both for our lives and for others. For our lives, the, the, the necessity of God's word should drive us to God's word. We need this. We, we cannot understand who God is. We cannot understand who we are, which, by the way, is the underlying problem in so many of the problems that Christians are facing today, that we have somewhere a deficiency of who God is, somewhere of a deficiency of who we are, and you won't get a clear picture without the spectacles of God's word. So be in God's word this year. Be reading it. Be studying it. Be understanding it. Then seek to apply it to your lives and change and live accordingly. It has another implication then in the lives of others. If we know this to be true, then this should drive us to help those that don't yet have God's word receive it. As Dr. Russ prayed, there are millions today who do not have access to God's word. So this, the, the doctrine of the necessity of God's word should drive and fuel many of our missionary efforts that we as a people would be passionate about taking God's word to those who don't have access to it. Why? Because we believe that this book has revealed to us a God who is righteous and holy and who must judge sin, but who in his love has provided salvation through the person of Jesus Christ. And people need to know that. And if they don't, this word teaches us that God will judge. This word also teaches us that those of us who have received this revelation now have a responsibility to proclaim that good news to others and to share this message. So, brothers and sisters, if we believe in the necessity of God's word, we will be passionate about helping those who don't have it receive it. Why? Because it's necessary for salvation. Is it just something you give lip service to, or is it something that shapes who we are as believers, who we are as Shawnee Baptist Church. We believe that God's word is necessary. And finally, God's word is sufficient. God's word is enough. The doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture would teach us that God's word and the revelation isn't, is in it is sufficient for all we need for life and godliness. We don't need extra revelations from God. We don't need to hear uh, special voices that somehow reveal to us a previously unknown message. Uh, what we need is God's word that he's recorded for us in Scripture. If you go to the book of 2 Timothy, Paul is writing and giving instructions for Timothy, and he, he reminds Paul of his own upbringing. And he says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, 
and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Just pause right there one, one second. That, that from, a, from a young boy, Timothy was acquainted with scriptures. They were able to make him wise for salvation. Just note that there uh, of the power that was contained within the written word of God. Able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Keep going. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word of God is sufficient to teach us and train us for godliness and to give us the instructions that we need and to teach us what we need to know. So brothers and sisters, where are you going to receive the revelation to have your life impacted in a spiritual sense in 2019? It's going to be in this book. And probably perhaps more than the others, this particular doctrine hits home for you and I in churches like ours. Kevin DeYoung has written, if any of you would like to read further on this topic, Taking God at His Word, why the Bible is knowable, necessary, and enough, and what that means for you and me. Uh, some of the headings I'm using came from this book, much of the material. It's, it's a very understandable and accessible uh, book, very short, into the doctrine of the Word of God. And I would encourage you to read through it at some point. But he notes how this, this one in particular is perhaps where you and I become susceptible. And he says this, If authority is the liberal problem, clarity is the postmodern problem, and necessity the problem for atheists and agnostics, then sufficiency is the attribute most quickly doubted by rank-and-file church-going Christians. We can say all the right things about the Bible and even read it regularly. But when life gets difficult or just a bit boring, we look for new words, new revelation, and new experiences to bring us closer to God. Do you ever find that, that pit, that, uh, that trap in your life of just thinking that if only I had some, man, I just, I wish I could hear from God. I wish I had some spiritual experience to make me close to God. Brothers and sisters, we can hear from God and his word is sufficient to teach us all that we need to know for life and godliness. This is how the spirit guides his children. The spirit of God uses the word of God in our lives. And so we as a people should be devoted to this. So a couple of implications then that that means for our lives. Number one, we don't want to add or subtract to the words of this book. And you'll see scripture itself even give that warning that we cannot add or subtract to the words of God's book. Why? Because it's sufficient. It's enough in the, in the revealed form that God has given. Also, be very careful that you don't, sub in that quote that I just read, be very careful that you're not appealing to other higher authorities. To, to, to be able to say things like, well, I'm, I'm not sure if I can understand Scripture, but I know for sure what I think about this issue, is, is to place your own feelings and thinkings on a different plane than Scripture and to give authority to those over God. To, to say things like, I feel God is telling me. I'm not denying that God doesn't lead his children. He does but it will always be in accordance with his word, never contrary to his word. And this is where we should look for God giving us that guidance through his spirit and through his word. DeYoung goes on to say this just a few pages later. The word of God is more than enough for the people of God to live their lives to the glory of God. The father will speak by means of all that the spirit has spoken through the son. The question is, whether we will open our Bibles and bother to listen. 
John Piper has said, he's well known saying it in a variety of ways, if you want to hear God speak, read your Bible out loud. And you will audibly hear God's speak. So we as a people should place our confidence in this, that this is sufficient for training us in life and godliness, that this is sufficient for what we need to grow in Christ's likeness. So with these things in mind, that God's word is uh, uh, a final, it's our authority, God's word is clear, it's understandable, God's word is necessary, and God's word is sufficient. I ask you again to think about 2019 and how you will use this year ahead. In 2 Kings chapter 22, this, this passage that Dr. Russ read, if you caught some of these first verses, what is really uh, neat about it, Josiah is this eight-year-old boy who becomes the king of Israel. Josiah's father was a bad dude. His grandfather was a really, really bad dude, the two previous kings of Israel. And so here he is king as eight years old and the word of God has been lost and he sends money to the craftsmen and workmen in the temple and they begin a restoration project a remodel project in the temple and as they're doing that they find scrolls of the word of God that had been lost and never read people in that day did not know and understand God's word and when they realized what they had found they gave it to the high priest who brought it to the king and he understood because of his love and tender heart for God he realized how important these words were and so that's why we closed with verse 7 when the king heard the words of the book of the law he tore his clothes Josiah realizes wait a minute God has revealed himself in this who he is what he expects of us and we've been living wrongly and with a soft repentant heart he tears his clothes and he realizes this is a problem and Josiah goes back to the high priest if you were to keep reading the next verses and he says go inquire of God what is God going to do about this because we've been disobeying and you know what God's answer is he says destruction will come I'm going to bring judgment on you as a people but God has a special message for Josiah if you come down to verse 15 of chapter 22 the prophet says this thus says the Lord the God of Israel tell the man who sent you to me thus says the Lord behold I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants and all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands therefore my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched but to the king of Judah who you sent to inquire of the Lord, thus says you, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent, because it was soft and willing to change. And you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. And you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back the word to the king. You know what God says? Destruction is coming for you, Judah, because you have done this. This is going to go badly for you. Why? Because God's word is final. It's authoritative. He's not going to 
change on that. But God had a measure of grace for Josiah because of his soft, willing heart. And God says, I will wait until after your lifetime to bring these things about. And yet Josiah still tenderly loved God and had a passion for God's word. And so in verse 23, this is what, in chapter 23, verse 1, Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord. And with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant. And, and as you go through the chapter, you begin to see some of the reforms as he went into the high places and he tore down the places of idol worship and he tore down the things of uh, uh, idolatry and you, he, he instituted Passover and uh, uh, God had a special um, promise for Josiah because he was tender for God's word. Coming down to verse 25 at the end of the chapter, before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Still, the Lord did not turn away from his burning of his great wrath by which his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight. And I have, as I have removed Israel, I will cast off this city as I have chosen Jerusalem. And the house of which I said, my name shall be there. And you see the destruction that God brings, and yet you see God's tender, Josiah's tender heart towards God because he loved God's word. And so I ask you again, as you look at 2019, do you recognize the value and importance of God's word such that you want to be in it? You want to be reading it. You want to be knowing it and studying it. A man named Robbie Gallaty had this to say recently. Lifeway, a Christian organization, did a 10 years of research. And in 10 years of research on what constituted spiritual maturity, what, what was it in their life, in their churches, that uh, uh, helped people grow into Christ-likeness? And he said this, after 10 years of research, Lifeway states two things about maturity. Number one, Bible engagement is the number one spiritual discipline for growth. And number two, Bible engagement affects every other discipline. People who engage the Bible give more, go more, and evangelize more. Let us, in 2019, be people who engage the Bible because we realize that it's authoritative, that it's clear, that it's necessary, and that it's sufficient. We want to be uh, in love with the Word of God, and in a week or two, we're going to start a series midway through the book about the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And he displayed his glory, a glory that was from the Father, full of grace and truth. And, and we want to fall more in love with the Word of God, which reveals to us the incarnate Word of God, the Word made flesh. We want to be people that know and understand God's Word because this book has great, great value 
for our lives as individuals, for us as a church. I hope, one of the things I hope in walking through this this morning is that you recognize this is not just theological stuff to be left in a classroom. This affects my life and your life in the day-to-day living for Jesus Christ. And so I want to close with these words that hopefully have impact in your life, but also for us as a church. And Kevin DeYoung says this. It is worth taking a moment at the end of this chapter I'm going to say at the end of this sermon where he's walked through those four things and that's what we have tried to walk through. It's worth taking a moment at the end of this chapter to consider what a difference these four attributes of Scripture can make for everyday life and godliness. Counselors can counsel meaningfully because Scripture is sufficient. Bible study leaders can lead confidently because Scripture is clear. Preachers can preach with boldness because their biblical text is authoritative. And evangelists can evangelize with urgency because the Scripture is necessary. These doctrines are eminently practical. If the Bible is everything we've seen, then why wouldn't we read it, study it, memorize it, and teach it to others? Why would we build our churches on the shallow soil of pragmatic philosophy? Why would we counsel with the leftovers of worldly wisdom? Why would we look first to the beauty of mountains or to the echo chamber of the self in our moments of deepest pain and crisis? Why would we infuse our worship services with so little scripture? Why would we sing songs bereft of biblical substance? Why would we prostrate the word of God to even the smartest sounding words of men? God's word is final. God's word is understandable. God's word is necessary. God's word is enough. In every age, Christians will do battle wherever these attributes of Scripture are threatened and assaulted. But more importantly, on every day, we will have to fight the, faith of, the fight of faith to really believe everything we know the Bible says about itself and even more challenging, to live accordingly. May God do these things in our hearts in the year ahead. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts as a people that we would see the value and the importance and the need of your word. Our lives will not change without a special work of your spirit. And we believe that your spirit will use your word to change our hearts and lives. And so I pray, God, that you would encourage us with the truth of scripture. Encourage us with our need to be in scripture. May we, may we knock out of the way lesser priorities and realize the necessity of your word. May we not listen to other voices, but realize the authority of your word. May we not doubt the certainty of your word, but recognize the clarity with which you've communicated. And Father, may we not long for some extra way to get to know you and live your life, but may we realize that your word is sufficient for everything we need in life and godliness. We pray all these things in Christ's name, amen.